This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. So there have been some guys who played for the A's and then left the A's and haunted the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, that's what we're looking at today is guys who, uh, you know, basically were with the A's. And I'm not talking about guys who were already established big leaguers, guys like Don Baylor or Harold Baines who came to the A's, but guys who either made their mark with the A's or got their first chance with the A's and then came back later and just tortured the athletics. <laughs> you know, guys, you just couldn't get out. It would just drive you crazy. And, again, we're not talking guys like Disco Danny Ford or Chet Lemon or Nelson Cruz, right, who were A's minor leaguers but never actually made it up to the big club with the A's. You had to actually play for the A's to be on this list. Chet Lemon was an A's minor leaguer? He was a first-round draft pick of the Oakland Athletics. Really? Why did they get rid of him? Uh, at that point, they had a lot of outfielders. This was the early 70s, and they were pretty well stocked in the outfield. And they had a young Claudel Washington who was going to play. And so they, they moved him. They moved Disco Danny Ford to the Orioles. And Disco Danny, he was, he was a tremendous right-handed power hitter. All right, honorable mention. So two guys who just missed making this list. One is uh, Mickey Tettleton. <laughs> Mickey Tettleton. I remember Mickey Tettleton with the A's was just not good. He was a switch hitting catcher who didn't show much power, didn't show much ability to get on base. Goes to Baltimore and becomes a totally different player. He starts eating Fruit Loops for breakfast. That's what they said, Fruit Loops. I think he started taking <laughs> something else when he was in Texas, but possibly, allegedly. Possibly. But then all of a sudden he becomes a switch hitting power hitter who gets on base, who walks 100 times a year. And then he, he would destroy the A's. He had 18 homers versus the A's, 83 walks in 98 games. who just drive you nuts. Uh, the other guy who might still make this list in the future, but he's only played seven games against the A's, but he's hit 300 with three homers, and that's Max Muncy. <laughs> Max Muncy was terrible with the A's. Yeah, except for break, terrible. Uh, breaking up Kobe Lewis's uh, no-hitter in the ninth inning. Other than that, he didn't really have many sparkling moments. He didn't look the part of a big leaguer, right? He just he didn't look right. Well, and what always gets me, and I kind of got a rule of thumb, if somebody does something out of the ordinary, like Lance Armstrong, all of a sudden Lance, Larms, Lance Armstrong has a bigger heart than other people and it pumps more blood or Barry Bonds really started working out with weights. Whenever you see something that's never – so whenever I think of Max Muncy and all of a sudden he went to some swing coach and it all changed, I always have a little question in the back of my mind. Question for Max Muncy. But he, he's hurt the A's in those few games. And then, of course, we have to bring up Ricky. Uh, Ricky doesn't make this list because he didn't really torture the A's. On his many, many stops on other teams, uh, you know, with a Yank, as a Yankee, he only had 251. Uh, the only time it really hurt the A's is in 93 when he went to the Blue Jays. He was having a great year in 93. Uh, should have been the A's All-Star. Terry Steinbach. Should have been Ricky. But he played six games against the A's that year, hit 300, two homers, 
a four for four in steals, hit a leadoff homer against Mike Moeller. Uh, but with the Padres in 97, he only went three for 17. What about Seattle Mariner great Ricky Henderson? Seven games against the A's in 2000 as a Mariner. He had 192. He had uh, one game as an Angel against the A's. What about as a Red Sox? The Red Sox, he played six <laughs> games. He had 273 with six RBIs. Uh, he did not face the A's when he was a Met or a Dodger. <laughs> Ricky, he played for so many teams, it's unbelievable. God bless him. All right, number 10. Number 10 is Wayne Gross. Wayne Gross, longtime A's third baseman. He was an A's all-star in 1977 when he had 22 home runs. Uh, basically the everyday third baseman from 77 to 82. Uh, you know, showed some power. But you know what a typical Wayne Gross at bat was? Wayne Gross would come up. First pitch would be like an off-speed pitch away in the dirt, and he'd swing and miss. So now you're already frustrated with him. Then he'd get a fastball, and he'd drill it down the right field line, and it'll hook just foul, just foul, just missing a homer by like two feet. And then the third pitch, he would pop out to the third baseman. He had almost all these at-bats. Like He was the most frustrating player, Wayne Gross. Uh, so finally, the A's traded for Carney Lansford. They didn't have a need for Wayne Gross. Uh, he goes to the Baltimore Orioles and tortures the A's. And he was not a good player with the Orioles. In two years with the Orioles, he had only 224. In his 17 games for the A's, he hit 361 Oof. with four homers. There's a game on YouTube from 1985 where he hits two homers. Where he's just, and he's terrible. He's terrible. He's Wayne Gross. Just killed the A's. So frustrating. Yeah, I get it. But, but you got Carney. You got Carney, and, you know, and they need it. Wayne. He did hit a homer in the 81 Division Series against the Royals. That was very nice. Uh, <laughs> but he was just a frustrating play. Long foul, pop up to the third baseman. So you're saying three pitches and he was out of here. Yeah. And, but, again, like you were talking about last night with Reggie in the strikeouts. Yeah. Wayne Gross did not strike out. He had, like, his career high was, like, 80, mostly in the 60 to 65 range. And if you would have asked me as a kid watching him, I thought he struck out all the time. But stats say no because he was always popping out to the third baseman. Did that make sense what I was saying last night? 100%. Like, like Reggie Jackson, for his career, struck out more than anybody by a lot, but yet still hit for average. Yeah. He still made contact. Yeah. And he took the big swings. But, it's, you know, what they did back then in the 80s and even the early parts of the 90s, striking out was still looked upon as bad. Right? That was a, you were ashamed to strike out. You were at least putting the ball in play. And so you were going to hit for a higher average because you were going to make more contact. So I didn't see – I mean, I was a little kid. I didn't see the Bucky Dent game. But so they aired it on MLB Network uh, during COVID, and I was watching the Bucky Dent game, and Reggie got two strikes and choked up. And I was, like, watching that going, why the hell don't all these guys do that? Two-strike approach. And we've talked about it a lot. It's gone. There's no such thing anymore. Mark Langston was great the other day uh, on the show where he just said – Every swing's the same. Yep. Every doesn't matter the count, doesn't matter the pitch. Every swing is the same. Number nine. Number nine is Houston Street. Houston Street, the Texas Longhorn. You know, rookie of the year with the A's in 05. 37 saves for the A's in the in the AL West champ year of 2006. 2008, things got a little rocky, and he wasn't seeing eye to eye with the manager, Bob Garen. Um, all of a sudden. There's, a, there, there's quite a few of us who didn't see <laughs> yeah. it. Right with Bob there, there are many. All of a sudden, Brad Ziegler's closing games, and Houston Street's not happy about it. And he gets traded to the Rockies. He was part of the Matt Holiday deal. Uh, he took it out on the A's. 
uh, pitching for the Rockies, pitching for the Padres, the Angels. 19 career games versus the A's, 14 for 14 in saves. Wow. In 2009, his first time back with the Rockies, he saved three straight games. They just kept going to him because he was, he was going to give it to the A's. And the A's had no chance That's against impressive. Him. 14 for 14 in his career versus the A's. And he's just number nine? He's just number nine. <laughs> okay, <laughs> number eight. Number eight is another A from that 2006 team, and that's Nick Swisher. Swishalicious? Swishalicious. Friend of the program? Oh, you know, Swish, fan favorite. He's a guy I love the guy. Right? I mean, nobody had the energy like, like, Nick, like Nick Swisher. So the A's trade him to the White Sox. They get uh, Ryan Sweeney and Gio Gonzalez. Swingles. Swingles. Uh, and his first year with the White Sox, he did not hurt the A's. He only hit 200. Uh, only hit one home run. Uh, did not get along with Ozzie Guillen. There, if you've ever seen it, there's a clip on YouTube where Ozzie Guillen was doing like the White Sox postgame show because now he was a TV analyst. This was just a few years ago. He just destroyed Nick Swisher. Really? Destroyed him. So you never believe a word Nick Swisher says. He's a liar. You've got to look it up. YouTube, Guillen Swisher. It's unreal. Uh, but then, you know, Swisher's with the Yankees, and that's when he just was hammering the A's. 39 games, hit 320 with 15 homers. And again, he wasn't putting up that type of numbers with the Yankees and the Indians where he was ending his career. Uh, against the A's, just lit him up. Hit 380 with runners in scoring position. Wow. Just torturing the A's because it's Nick Swisher. He doesn't hit anybody. He's hitting the A's. Uh, you know, my uh, thing for Ryan Sweeney is looks like Tarzan <laughs> plays like Jane. Oh, man. <laughs> Swingles. Oh. How can a guy be that big? And just it just has no power. No, none. He's six four. He's built. He's huge. So again, frustrating player with the A's because you did you expect him to hit bombs? No, he's hit little trinkles to right field. Yeah, oh, it was unbelievable. All right, number seven. Number seven is Tony Armas. Oof. You know Tony was a great A. He was part of that outfield with Ricky and Murph and Sports Illustrated, the whole deal and big powers in eighty and eighty one. He tied for the AL lead in home runs and. You know, after the 82 season, the A's made the trade for Carney Lansford. Of course, because we could get rid of Wayne Gross. We need Carney. Uh, but Tony Armas was the one to go to Boston. And he had some big years in Boston. Led the league in homer and RBIs one year. Um, but against the A's, he just shown playing for the Red Sox and the Angels. This is a 252 career hitter who hit 299 versus the A's. 935 OPS. 14 bombs. Big moments. Even at the end of his career with the Angels when he wasn't playing that well, he would still come from the A's and just boom, bam. He was just he just took it out on us. Just took it out on the A's. He was comfortable here. He was very comfortable here. And you know, I love Tony as a kid because he had the big right arm. And they talk about the great outfielders, you know, with who could throw. Armist got a little short shift that I always thought because his arm was tremendous. Number six. Number six is Carlos Pena. Ooh. Yeah, you know, Carlos Pena. MLB Network, front of the program, Carlos Pena. You know, he comes in, he's part of two thousand two. You've seen him in Moneyball. Uh, he was going to be the A's first baseman. It wasn't going to be Hatterberg. It was going to be Carlos Pena was going to be the first baseman because he was a great defensive first baseman, and Hatterberg was going to be more of a DH. Uh, and he got his chance with the A's. Played the first 40 games. Hit 218, showed some power, seven home runs, but the A's were frustrated the whole you know Black Monday, and they sent everybody down and traded Jeremy Giambi. The whole team changed. And eventually they trade Carlos Pena to the Tigers uh, for Ted Lilly. Uh, again, not shown in the movie, but that's what actually happened. Uh, 81 career games with the A's. He hits 20 homers. And if you look at just this century, since 2000, he is the 10th most home runs hit against the Oakland Athletics. 
And he was playing in the East. Played for Tampa Bay, playing for Detroit. Didn't matter. Faced the A's, and you could just see there, there was payback in his mind because he never got a fair shake here. That whole thing that they transpired at the end of May. Again, this Black Monday, Frank Menachino got sent down. Jeff Tam got sent down because Billy was frustrated. The A's had just got swept in Toronto. There was a little bit of an incident on the plane ride coming home, and it was just time to clean house. And, unfortunately, Carlos Pena was part of that. What happened on the plane? Yeah, let's just say Jeremy Giambi was a little rambunctious on the ride home. Uh, well, they won 20 games in a row because of Scott Hatterberg. Well, they won the 20th game because of Scott Hatterberg. No, they won. Uh, all 20 because of him? Yeah, they, 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 they wrote a book yeah. about how important Scott Hatterberg <laughs> was, and then they turned it into a movie, and it wasn't for Scott Hatterberg. I don't even know if this organization exists without Scott Hatterberg. Well, you know, in some sense, a team of nine Scott Hatterbergs would be unbeatable. Uh, because, I mean, Miguel Tejada did nothing. His birthday today, by the way. Is it really? Today's Miguel Tejada's birthday, and now I'm going to make you all feel old. 47. Wow. You, you, you want to feel old? My first ever play-by-play gig when I did the San Jose Giants was down in Modesto, and he was supposedly a 20-year-old shot, uh, shortstop when the A's high A team was Modesto. And he was leading the league in home runs. Obviously, he wasn't 20, but it was like, this kid's going to be impressed. And don't put him in the book either because he didn't do anything. Hudson Mulder and Zito didn't do anything. Yeah. Scott Hatterberg. Why? Because he does what? He gets on base. (laughs) Number five. Number five. This player only appeared in two games versus the A's, and he's number five. You know why? No hitter. He was the 1990 World Series MVP, Jose Rijo. Jose Rijo with the Cincinnati Reds. I mean, you know, he was with the A's. He came to the A's when he was 20 years old from the Yankees, part in the Ricky deal, right? Uh, He was young. Still has the A's record for strikeouts in a nine-inning game with 16. Uh, But the A's moved him to bring in Dave Parker. Good move. Yeah. You get Dave Parker. The 1990 World Series – He's the MVP of the 1990 World Series. Two starts, 2-0. and He allowed only one run in 15 and third innings, 14 Ks. And it all starts game one. And I will remember this for the rest of my days. Frank Pooley is the home plate umpire. And the crowd is going crazy. Ricky's up to bat, leadoff batter. The first pitch is on the outside corner. Frank Pooley gets a big strike. Second pitch is about six inches off the outside corner. Strike! I mean, he's doing Rico Palazzo from from uh, Naked Gun at this point. The third pitch is a good foot off the plate. The huge strike three, the whole thing. And right then I said, this is over. This game's over. It was slider, 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 (laughs) slider. That's all. And Eric Davis got hurt in game one. No, no, he got hurt in game four. Game four? Yeah, that's how he got left here in the hospital. He He made the dive in in left field. Hurt his kidney. And I remember that. It was like, dude, Eric Davis. But no, Eric oh. the Red. That was game. I thought that was game one. Game one, he hit the homer off Stu in the first inning. Barry Larkin gets on, and the whole time leading up to the series, a few days in between, they talked about the Reds' running game and how that was going to be a problem for the A's. And Dave Stewart decides to pitch from a stretch but a sidestep, and he never did a sidestep. Barry Larkin got in his head, does a slide step, 
Boom, Eric Davis, two-run homer. And who was it? Was it Billy Hamilton? Billy, they Billy, Billy Hatcher. Billy Hatcher. You couldn't get him out. Nine for 12 in the series. They finally broke his wrist in game four. That's the only way we can get him out of the lineup. <laughs> oh, my God. But Jose Rio was unbelievable in that series, right? The MVP just tortured the A's. And you could almost feel it, right? Former A, didn't get the chance. Now he's on the mound. Ugh. And the fact that that team got swept is still to this day. You didn't win a game. Oh. Game two. Game two was brutal. Jose couldn't catch the ball in right center field. Billy Bates with this. Oh what was God. the uh, – What? which game was Joe Oliver beat Eck? That was game two. So game two, this is what's so frustrating about this game, is we the A's had gone through the nasty boys. And now X on the mound. And if they get through the bottom of the inning, Rick Mailer is coming into pitch. Rick Mailer. All right, and he's about 67 <laughs> years old at this point. And the A's are just going to hammer him. All you have to do is get out of the inning. Billy Bates gets the stupid single. And then Joe Oliver with the single down the line. And the A's lose. It's just oh, heartbreaking. And then Chris Sabo in game three with two homers. Oh, and those goggles. Oh, my God. Ugh. I can't like, – like that team – it's just what they weren't that good. The Reds were good. I mean, they Eric, weren't that good. To I mean, they, sweep they, the A's. They led wire to wire that year in the National League West. I mean, they they, they were, didn't have the firepower of the A's though. But they had the nasty boys, and they had the lead late. They were going to win. It's just it was a bad matchup for the A's. The starting pitchers for the Reds were a bad matchup for A's hitters. Um, it was a bad matchup, and they were hot, and the A's. You know, that first inning, I'm telling you, from Frank Pooley bringing up Ricky to Eric Davis hitting that homer, it just changed everything. Number four? Number four is another Hall of Famer. That's Catfish Hunter. Ooh, we don't that's talk, juicy. We don't talk much about Catfish as a Yankee, right, especially around here. But, you know, he was good with the Yankee, Hall of Fame worthy. Obviously, he came back against the A's. He made 13 starts as a Yankee versus the A's. Seven and three, the 2.86, seven complete games. One of them was 11 and two-third inning complete game, especially in the 12th inning before Campy got a sack fly against him. What is a complete game? Yeah, exactly. That's when you pitch all the innings in the game. Really? You can do that? You can do it. It's allowed. All right. Uh, so Catfish, I mean, he's, he's Catfish Hunter, but he just, he just kind of tortured the A's because he would play with them, and he came, and he knew all these guys, and he was just Catfish. He just beat the A's. Every time he took them out, it felt like he beat them. You know what I don't understand is that, okay, he won World Series with the A's. He played in the biggest market you got in New York playing for the Yankees. And yet, when people talk about greatest pitchers of all time, they don't ever bring him up. They don't because he doesn't have the 300 wins. And people look back at his record now, people who didn't watch him pitch or weren't around in the 70s uh, to see what he was all about. And his numbers don't stack up to the greatest pitchers of all time. You know, his numbers don't compare to Greg Maddox. They don't compare to Pedro Martinez. But for what he was in his time as a guy who would pitch – every fourth or fifth day, make every start, complete most of them, win 20 games five years in a row, and in the postseason just be nails. And, you know, as you mentioned again last night, solo home runs. Yeah, he gave up a lot of homers, most of them solos. Guys on base, he would get out of it. He was a Hall of Fame pitcher. Maybe doesn't have the Hall of Fame numbers if you look at it now, but if you watched him pitch and watched his career, there was never a doubt he was going to be a Hall of Famer. Number three. This guy should have been a Hall of Famer. He's not, but he tortured the A's, and that's Jose Canseco. My guy. Jose. I lo- when I was in high school, I loved Jose Canseco. Oh, I mean, he was Jose. <laughs> All we heard about in the mid-80s, Jose was coming. He's in the minor leagues. He's hitting bombs. He finally comes up at the end of 85, hits a homer off Jeff Russell that one hops the back concession stands in left center field. 
nobody hit balls like this. Right? Then he wins the rookie of the year. Uh, 88, he's 40 40. Two strike approach. Let him hit 300 that year. He would go to right field. He'd go to right. He's spread out. Boom. Jose was great. And then we know he got traded in 92, and he, he never let the A's forget about it. Uh, 54 games against the A's. He had 16 homers, the 924 OPS, hit safely in his first nine games versus the A's. Uh, he also had big moments, had a three-run walk-off homer at Fenway Park of Carlos Reyes. That, I think that ball is still going. Red Sox great Jose Canseco. And then <laughs> gets better. Then with the Yankees in 2000, destroys Mark Mulder. First at Yankee Stadium, then a week later here in the Coliseum. Just kills him. Mulder had nothing to get him out with. Jose did nothing with the Yankees except for those two games versus the A's. Won a World Series ring. He had a World Series and got one at bat, struck out. Jose Canseco. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, obviously we know the steroid issue, but you just think of, you know, when we were growing up, you would have said no question Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco would be Hall of Famers. Yeah, I don't think there was any question about it. Uh, In the talent level that Jose had, the all-around game, the five-tool guy, right, and the charisma, and then McGuire with the home runs. He had 49 homers as a rookie, right? Skinny Mark McGuire. He had 49. No one had ever done that. He had 30-plus home runs each of his first four seasons. No one had ever done that. These were Hall of Fame beginnings to their careers. And and I, uh, the one thing we always need to give Jose Canseco credit on is that he did 40-40 in a season that mattered. Everybody else who's done 40-40 was on a team that didn't finish 500. Yeah, this is 104 win A's. This is an A's team making it back to the playoffs for the first time since 81, and he was as dominant a baseball player that, that could be with his power and speed. We just hadn't seen that all together for a full season. Number two. So number two is a guy maybe people don't remember, but I remember him, and he pisses me off to this day, and that's Brian Harper. Brian Harper? Brian Harper. As, as Cody would say, who? So Brian Harper. Let me tell you the story of Brian Harper. <laughs> so 1987, he's a 27-year-old journeyman. He'd been with the Angels, the Pirates, the Cardinals, catcher. Uh, could never really make it. The A's brought him up in 87, played 11 games with them. He goes four for 17. Ends the season. So at the end of the 87 season, he has a career average of 233 in 205 games. Brian Harper. He's nothing. He's nobody, right? 1988, he signs with the Twins. Hits 305 in seven seasons with the Twins. Hits 381 in the 91 World Series. He is a huge offensive force of the Minnesota Twins during their second World Series run. And he never let the A's forget it. He hits 351 in his 63 games versus the A's, 431 with runners in scoring position against the A's. Every time the A's and Twins played, and those were battles in those years, right? Those were the two top teams in the AL West. Brian Harper would come through with a base hit with a runner in scoring position. The A's couldn't get him out. Brian Harper actually comes back to the A's in 1995. He comes back and he goes 0 for 7 and then retires. I, I, I honestly, I don't remember this guy at all. Don't remember Brian I, I don't remember Brian. Do you remember in the World Series when Lonnie Smith bowls over the catcher? Yes. That's Brian Harper. Oh, wow. Like, I re- like I'm looking at a picture of him, by the way. Uh, played for the Nashville Sounds in 1986. Yeah. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, he all of a sudden became this high average hitter with the Twins. He hit 300 over seven years with them as their everyday catcher. And again, 381 in that 91 World Series. He was just, 
and he was nothing until he got to Minnesota. And then he just tortured the A's every time. Base hit. Number one. Number one's a guy we already mentioned, Reggie Jackson. Reggie always took it out on the A's. He, you know, his whole Charlie Finley dealings and everything that happened here, um, he never let the A's forget. Uh, you know, his first year with Baltimore, he played eight games against the A's in 76, hit 308 as a Yankee. He has a 996 OPS with 15 Oof. bombs, grand slams, 34 and 14 record versus the A's. Goes to the Angels for those five years, 924 OPS, 32 and 26 record versus the A's. And that's when an A's team was getting better and the Angels weren't as good. But he hits 30 homers and 114 games versus the A's, has a winning record of 24 games over 500. At one point, had a 17 game hit streak versus the A's where he hit 446. Oh. With eight homers and 27 runs batted in. <laughs> and just big moments. I mean, it's just, Reggie, I still remember the Grand Slam. There was a Twilight doubleheader here. The A's win the first game on a Mickey Klutz walk-off home run off Ron Guidry. Mickey Klutz walk-off homer against Ron Guidry. And that kind of pissed off that Yankee dugout. Because the first time Reggie comes up with the bases loaded against Matt Keogh in game two, he hits a ball that would have been off the Xfinity sign now. Just crushed it. What was the deal that Reggie had with the Angels, like he got, I don't know if he got the gate or the parking or what What was the it deal? Was, it was parking. It was an attendance clause, and he got a percentage of the parking. Gene Autry was so desperate, he gave up the parking to Reggie <laughs> He Jackson. gave part of the parking to Reggie, the five-year deals with the Angels. And, you know, Reggie, he wanted to stay with the Yankees. I mean, he really, because that's who he knew. That's where the biggest stars are. Uh, but they had Dave Winfield at that time, and George Steinbrenner starting to fall in love with Dave Winfield. And so Reggie went to the next market that he could think of to be a star, and that was the Los Angeles market. Couldn't go to the Dodgers because he couldn't play the field really much anymore. Become the DH for the Angels. Played his first game as an Angel in this stadium in opening night, 82. Wasn't his first game against the Yankees he hit a home run and pissed off all the Yankee fans? He did. He was having a horrible start to the year, and it's kind of a rainy night. And there's Reggie in the cleanup spot. Hits a home run. Yankee fans go crazy. Because they loved Reggie. And they started booing George Steinbrenner, who's also there. They're cheering for Reggie and booing Steinbrenner. And then, before you know it, George Steinbrenner's calling uh, Dave Winfield Mr. May. Mr. May. What a great nickname. And then had him, like, followed by private investigators. Uh, George Steinbrenner would get suspended in by baseball that was a wild time it was and you know what george steinbrenner was and i hate to say this on this show but he was donald trump of baseball right in the 70s and 80s that's how he acted he was a megalomaniac who believed he was in control of everything and could make any decision for anybody at any time uh he was fiercely loyal to people who were loyal to him uh but he was he was a scary man he had all the power in new york and he spent a lot. Of, like the the difference between him and Charlie Finley is he had no problem spending money. No, he knew what it takes to win. And you know, as when CBS bought the Yankees and Steinbrenner's part of that deal and eventually becomes you know the primary owner, he had no problem spending money. He saw the worth of the club. You know, I'm going to redo Yankee Stadium, which they did. We're going to be a World Series team, and he saw the Yankees could own New York, and spending money was not a factor. And he would overpay for players to bring into New York. Some of it worked some of it didn't work for a long time it didn't work especially in the 80s uh but yeah don manley only played in the playoffs one time time, and that was in 95 with buck showalter um you know he got the traded for ricky in the 85 yankees were a tremendous team 
Uh, but they just can never quite get over the hump, even though the money that they spent. My favorite Yankee story of all time is Mel Hall walking down the streets of New York with two cougars. <laughs> like the animal, the cougars. <laughs> he had two cougars. Like that, That's like totally illegal. And Mel Hall's walking down the street with the cougars and gets arrested. I'll never forget no, that. And you know, that was part of the, the sales pitch to get Reggie to sign with the Yankees when he was a free agent, is they actually took him on a walk in downtown New York. And watch the fans react to Reggie. And they, you know, every fan's Reggie Jackson, Reggie. And this is a guy coming off a year with the Orioles, kind of lost baseball as far as the national spotlight. They knew who he was, and that really sold him on being a Yankee, that he knew he could walk down the street and be the superstar that he always thought he was. The Reggie bar. All right, go down your top ten once again. Well, the Reggie bar, you got to do the one line. Catfish Hunter's line about the Reggie bar, you you unwrap it, and it tells you how good it is. (laughs) (laughs) That is good. Hayes Tortures. Wayne Gross, number ten. Houston Street, that 14 for 14 in saves. Nick Swisher, Tony Armas, Carlos Pena, Jose Rio, 1990 World Series MVP. Catfish, Jose Canseco, Brian Harper. Look him up, everybody. Look at his numbers. Look what he did to the A's. Look what he did with the Twins. He pissed you off. If you're an A's fan in the late 80s, early 90s, you know that he pissed you off. And number one, Mr. October, Reggie Jackson. Never let the A's forget that they traded him away. The Hall of Famer. Great stuff. Great list. Good good to see you guys in person. This is awesome. Yes. We got to do this again soon. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.